The analysis of section 20 is based on the unanswered question composed by Charles Ives. Part 1. The Silence of the Druids The piece begins with sustained strings. It feels static, moreover formless, but building up for something to take form. Who goes there, hankering, gross, mystical, nude? How is it I extract strength from the beef I eat? What is a man, anyhow? What am I? What are you? All I mark as my own, you shall offset it with your own else it were time lost listening to me. What is a man, anyhow? What am I? What are you? Whitman asks. And much like his questions, the silence of the Druids is an existential sonance. Druidism is regarded as a shamanic religion, which places emphasis on the natural world and its powers. It relies on a combination of contact with the spirit world and holistic medicines to treat and sometimes cause illnesses. I liken this portion of the section to being in a trance or hypnotic state, characteristic of shamanism. Whitman's initial questions seem self-referential. Who goes there, hankering, gross, mystical, nude? He strips the self down to basic elements. Hankering, to mean craving or yearning, gross to mean crude or vulgar, mystical to mean magical or cryptic, and nude to mean bare, uncovered. The self is without all its embellishments and is imagined in a larger context. How is it I extract strength from the beef I eat? This is a contemplation over the food chain and where the self fits in all of it. The cattle graze, then we consume their meat, then we die and decompose, theoretically, into the soil that nourishes the pastures that the cattle graze. How is it that one extracts strength from the beef they eat, when, in essence, they are part of a larger system that extracts from them? This coincides with a previous analysis that I've been referencing quite a bit, and that is the sharing of atoms. What is a man anyhow when stripped down to their basic elements? What am I? What are you in this larger machination? 
all I mark as my own, material and immaterial, you shall offset it with your own, else it were time lost listening to me. This is the basis of Whitman's philosophy, the sharing of atoms and further the evolution or development of these shared atoms. Part 2. The Trumpet Intones The Perennial Question of Existence The sustained strings remain resonant until a lone trumpet blares out. This is the first question. I do not snivel that snivel the world over, that months are vacuums and the ground but wallow in filth. Whimpering and truckling, fold with powders for invalids, conformity goes to the fourth removed. I wear my hat as I please, indoors or out. Why should I pray? Why should I venerate and be ceremonious? The never-ceasing question of existence is posed in the last lines after a build-up of all the ways that people snivel, conform, bend, whimper, and truckle. The question that so blares, like the trumpet, is, quote, Why should I pray? Why should I venerate and be ceremonious? Is that all that one exists for? According to Whitman, that conformity and ingratiating behaviour goes to the fourth removed, those distant from him in a familial sense, but also the everyday yes-man, who is perhaps reticent about their feelings and thoughts, and whose howls are restrained by decorum, to quote section 8. Having pried through the strata, analysed to a hair, counselled with doctors and calculated close, I find no sweeter fat than sticks to my own bones. In all people I see myself, none more and not one a barleycorn less, and the good or bad I say of myself, I say of them. Whitman claims to have pried through the strata, closely analysed to a hair, and counselled with the most knowledgeable to demonstrate his search for the answers to his question. And at the end of it all, he finds that no sweeter fat than sticks to his bones. And I find that I don't know what this means. For what it's worth, the mention of sticks and bones brings the adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, to mind. But that's all I can think of it. Nevertheless, in all people, Whitman sees himself. Everyone has the same intrinsic worth. None more and not one a barley corn less. Because Whitman sees himself in all people, it follows that the good or bad he says of himself, he says of them. 
The positioning of this is quite interesting. He reflects himself, his deeds and misdeeds onto, onto all people and not the other way around. He sees the best of himself in humanity, such that all people are intrinsically worthy and capable. And he also sees the worst of himself in humanity, such that no one is blameless or without fault. Part 3. The Woodwinds as the Fighting Answerers You will hear that each time the trumpet asks the question, it becomes more rhythmically displaced, louder and agitated in tone. The answerers are the woodwinds who play chromatic motifs, which are notes which do not belong in the scale of the prevailing key. As the chromatic notes become increasingly animated, the woodwinds or fighting answerers express a realization of futility and begin to mock the question. It is here that the question and answers seem disconnected with no way of resolve. I know I am solid and sound. To me, the converging objects of the universe perpetually flow. All are written to me, and I must get what the writing means. I know I am deathless. I know this orbit of mine cannot be swept by a carpenter's compass. I know I shall not pass like a child's curlicue 
cut with a burnt stick at night. I know I am august. I do not trouble my spirit to vindicate itself or be understood. I see that the elementary laws never apologize. I reckon I behave no prouder than the level I plant my house by, after all. To draw my comparison, I think that Whitman represents both the question or questioner and the answer or answerer. On the backdrop of his initial questions, he continues to have an outpouring of answers, which I've compiled. Here's a listen. How is it I extract strength from the beef I eat? I know I am solid and sound. I know I am deathless. Why should I pray? Why should I venerate and be ceremonious? To me, the converging objects of the universe perpetually flow. All are written to me, and I must get what the writing means. What is a man, anyhow? What am I? What are you? I know this orbit of mine cannot be swept by a carpenter's compass. I know I shall not pass like a child's curlicue, cut with a burnt stick at night. Who goes there, hankering, gross, mystical, nude? I know I am august. I do not trouble my spirit to vindicate itself or be understood. I see that the elementary laws never apologize. Remember, in this question, the self is stripped down to its basic elements. In spite of the hankering, vulgarity, mysticism and nudity, Whitman knows that he is august, inspiring reverence or admiration of supreme dignity and grandeur. He doesn't trouble his spirit to vindicate itself or be understood because even he sees that the elementary laws never apologize for being as they are, in some ways, hankering, gross, mystical, and nude. Part 4. Undisturbed Solitude The question is still asked, and ultimately left unanswered. We revert back to the silence of the Druids, back to the cosmic, formless stasis. I exist as I am. That is enough. If no other in the world be aware, I sit content. And if each and all be aware, I sit content. One world is aware, and by far the largest to me, and that is myself. And whether I come to my own today, or in 10,000 or 10 million years, I can cheerfully take it now, or with equal cheerfulness, I can wait. My foothold is tenoned and mortised in granite. I laugh at what you call dissolution, and I know the amplitude of time. I exist as I am. That is enough. Whitman remains content if no other world 
or each and all other worlds are aware of him. For him, one world is aware, and that world is himself. I had a hard time trying to decipher what he meant by coming to his own. Does he mean self-actualization? In a Maslowian sense? Or more spiritual enlightenment? Either way, he doesn't mind if that coming to his own will happen in 10,000 or 10 million years. He could take it on presently or wait. He is both content with and aware of himself while striving for something more within himself, hence one day coming to his own. And I think the last few lines fulfill Whitman's words. His foothold is tenoned and mortised in granite. He laughs at what we call dissolution, and he knows the amplitude of time. Being the celebrated poet he is, Whitman quite literally has his foothold tenoned and mortised in granite in the statues made in his honour. And he laughs at what we call dissolution, that is, cessation, because not only is he deathless, but there are statues of him. And more than a century later, here we are analysing his work. I can't really fault him then. It turns out he really does know the amplitude of time. And perhaps with being said, he has finally come to his own. <laughs>